You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. It's good to be back with you today. And again, I appreciate uh, Dr. Wade Humphreys inviting me to share the pulpit. He and the group that has gone to Belgium on the mission trip will be returning today and tomorrow, and I hope that you pray for them regularly, and we will pray for them before we are dismissed today. And I hope you pray for your pastor every day of your life, for he and I and all of those who seek to minister in the name of our Lord Jesus need God's grace, God's strength, God's wisdom, and God's power. Now today, I would invite you to look at the scripture, which is found in the 22nd chapter of the book of Genesis. So if you've got a Bible or you're using an app, either way, and we're just going to read verse 1, but the message will really be on the balance of Genesis chapter 22. Several weeks ago, uh, Pastor Wade asked me if... I would think about and pray about joining with him in a sermon series. And the more I thought about it, the more excited I got. And the more I prayed about it, the more impressed I was that the Lord was leading in that direction. So we're doing a three-part series together on pictures of the cross leading up to Easter Sunday and Palm Sunday before that. And last Sunday, uh, Pastor Wade brought us a very fine and biblical message from the serpent on the pole that Moses lifted up in the wilderness. And today, the message is going to be about another picture of the cross, the Mount of Sacrifice, in Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. It's interesting to trace the story of God's plan of redemption through the mountains of the Bible. Why, after the flood, the ark came to rest on Mount Ararat. And by the way, the ark is a picture of Jesus the deliverance, and the safety that we have in him. And then later on, God gave the law to Moses on another mountain, Sinai. And it's the law that convinces us of our sinfulness and our need of Jesus Christ, the Savior. And then you remember the prophet Elijah stood on Mount Carmel, And had his duel with the prophets of Baal. And asked God to send fire from heaven and consume the sacrifice. Sacrifice, always a picture of Jesus and the cross. Then I turn to the New Testament. And I read where Jesus customarily 
went with his disciples to the Mount of Olives, another great mountain. And then where Jesus was crucified on Mount Calvary, looking forward to the end of time when Jesus returns in glory, the final battle fought on the Mount of Megiddo, or as we say it in English, Armageddon, Har, the mountain, of Megiddo, the locality, the mountain of Megiddo, Armageddon. So you can trust God's plan of redemption, redemption and trace it from beginning to end, looking at the mountains in the Word of God. Today, we're going to look at a mountain called Moriah. That's what it was called in Abraham's day. I call it the Mount of Sacrifice. Abraham called it Jehovah-Jireh. For the Bible says after God provided a sacrifice, Abraham called that place Jehovah-Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. It's the Mount of Sacrifice. And I want you to look at this mountain in three parts today. First of all, there is the literal interpretation. God provided a sacrifice for Abraham. Secondly, there is a prophetic implication. God provides for us a sacrifice in Jesus. So the scripture has not only a literal meaning for Abraham, it has a prophetic implication for all time. And then third, look at it from the standpoint of a personal application. How does the Mount of Sacrifice apply to you and me today? So first, the literal interpretation. God provided a sacrifice for Abraham. Abraham is one of the most revered personalities that has ever lived. He is revered by our Jewish friends as the founder of their ethnicity and their faith. He is revered by Muslims. He is also revered by Christians. Abraham lived approximately... 2,000 years before Jesus, which means he lived as far before the coming of Christ as you and I live after the coming of Christ. You remember that Abraham and Sarah, his wife, had no child, but God spoke to Abraham, and God said, your wife Sarah is going to have a son. And Abraham believed God, but he waited, and he waited, and he waited for years, and the son never came. Finally, when Abraham was a hundred years of age, Sarah gave birth to a son, and they named him Isaac, which means laughter. So in Genesis chapter 22, Isaac is now a young teenager. But the Bible says God tested Abraham. Now, if I heard a voice or had a dream or saw a vision, 
And I thought God told me to take one of my children and offer them as a human sacrifice. That would not be a test for me. And you know why? It's because the Bible tells me that under no circumstances is human sacrifice ever to be offered. In the Old Testament, there was a death sentence for offering human sacrifice. But you see, I live 4,000 years after Abraham. Abraham didn't have the Bible. Abraham had not received that commandment in the law. Abraham, as he traveled, saw that all the pagan peoples that he encountered offered human sacrifice. So when God spoke to him and said, offer Isaac, Abraham said, this is something very hard. This is really a test. It was a test because Isaac was his child whom he loved dearly. But it was also a test because God had given him a promise that through Isaac his descendants would come. And now God is saying, you're past 100 years of age. You're not going to have any more children. Take Isaac and offer him as a sacrifice. How do we reconcile all that? So God tested Abraham. And God said, Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Are you aware that this is the first use of the word love in all the Bible? Now, love has existed from all eternity, but just the first use of the word love in the Bible. So the next morning, Abraham took his son Isaac. They took a donkey. They gathered some wood for the sacrifice. They brought a source of fire, probably a torch. And they took with them two servants, and they journeyed for three days from modern-day Hebron to Mount Moriah, modern-day Jerusalem. And by the way, Mount Moriah is where Abraham was ready to offer Isaac. But when Solomon built the temple, he built it on Mount Moriah. And that's where all the animal sacrifices, beginning with the dedication of Solomon's temple, were offered, Mount Moriah. Many of you have stood on Mount Moriah. It's the temple mount in Jerusalem. So, three days later, they arrive at Mount Moriah. The two servants are left at the foot of the mountain, Abraham, Isaac, the wood and the torch ascend, and halfway up the mountain, Isaac says to Abraham, Father, here is the wood, here is the fire, where is the lamb? And Abraham says to Isaac, God himself will provide a sacrifice. Now, Abraham didn't know how God was going to do it. Was God going to intervene and provide a substitute for Isaac? Or was God going to bring Isaac back from the dead? God could have done that. Isaac doesn't, or Abraham doesn't know how. 
But he says, God is going to provide. Then when they reach the top of Mount Moriah, it's revealed to Isaac that he is to be the sacrifice. Obediently, he lies down upon the altar. Abraham has bound him hand and foot, has raised the knife, and is ready to offer when the angel of God speaks again and says, Abraham, don't lay your hand upon the lad. Now I know that you fear me. Abraham turns and he sees a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. He sets his son free, takes the ram, and together they offer the ram as a sacrifice. And Abraham names the place Jehovah-Jireh, the Lord will provide. So that's the first picture of this passage. It's the literal interpretation. God had given Abraham a promise. Abraham believed God. God tested his faith with a demand for obedience. Abraham passed the test by holding on. God will provide. And God did provide his needs. And at the end of the passage, God repeats his promise to Abraham. And God is well pleased. Now look at the passage a second way. The prophetic implication that God provides a sacrifice through Christ. And that's our emphasis as we lead up to Palm Sunday and Easter. That God is preparing for the cross. Many of you know that the science of interpreting, interpreting the Bible is called hermeneutics. In hermeneutics, there is a special field of study called typology. Let me introduce you to typology. The word type comes from the Greek word tupos, and it means an image or a pattern or a model of something to come. An image, a pattern, or a model. And a type is when God takes something in the Old Testament, usually a person, but it may be a place, it may be an event. God takes something in the Old Testament, maybe a thing like the ark, and God uses it as a pattern, a prophecy, a prophetic picture of the coming of Jesus. Now, why would God do that? Because God controls all of history from the beginning to the end. And God is working according to a plan. That plan culminates in the coming of Jesus to die on the cross and to rise again. So, in order to prepare for the coming of Christ... God provides these types or patterns or images in advance. Pastor Wade preached about one of them last week. The serpent on the pole. 
And I know that that's a type of Christ because Jesus said so. In John chapter 3, beginning at verse 14, Jesus said, Even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, in that way must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So the bronze serpent was a type of the cross, the serpent on the pole. And then again, in the 12th chapter of Matthew, some people came to Christ and they said, Give us a sign, teacher. And Jesus said, There will no sign be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of that great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jonah was a type of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus said so. Now here again, in Genesis chapter 22, in the Mount of Sacrifice, we have a type of Christ. In fact, if you will look at the life of Isaac... His whole life is a picture of Jesus. Isaac was the promised child. Jesus was the promised Messiah. Isaac was born according to a set time. God appeared to Abraham and said, At this time next year, Sarah is going to have a son. Jesus was born in the fullness of time according to a set time. Isaac was born miraculously of parents who were physically no longer able to conceive and have a child. But Jesus was also born miraculously. His mother was a virgin. Isaac brought a special delight to his father Abraham. Jesus delighted the Heavenly Father. When Jesus was baptized, God the Father spoke and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Isaac was mocked by his brother Ishmael. Jesus was mocked by his brothers physically. They came and they said, He's lost his mind. They mocked him. Isaac was obedient unto death. And Jesus was obedient unto death. So in his whole life, Isaac is a picture in advance of Christ. Now you see it especially here in Genesis chapter 22. You have the father offering the son. That's what happened to Jesus. You have it happening on a mountain, Mount Moriah. Jesus was crucified on a cross at Mount Calvary. You have Abraham and Isaac traveling for three days to reach Mount Moriah. You have Jesus crucified, buried, and on the third day rising again. You have two servants accompanying Abraham and Isaac. When Jesus was crucified, there were two others crucified 
with him. You have Isaac questioning his father. And he says to Abraham, where is the lamb? On the cross, you have Jesus questioning the father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then you have Isaac freed. And Jesus was freed, not from death, but through death in resurrection. So that's the second way to look at this passage. It's a picture, a prophetic implication that God provides for all of us a sacrifice in Jesus. So we have the literal interpretation. God provided a sacrifice for Abraham. We have the prophetic implication. God provides a sacrifice for those who believe in Jesus. But third, there is a personal application. In fact, there are many, but let me just point out three of them. How does this apply to you and me? First of all, like Abraham, your faith is going to be tested. In fact, sometimes the greatest test of all is what happens to our children. It was that way with Abraham. I have conducted hundreds of funerals in my life. But with hands down, the most heartbreaking is always when a parent loses a child. You just can't prepare for that, even if you know it's coming. It sometimes destroys marriages. It always breaks hearts. When you're disappointed in your children, when they break your hearts, when one of them is disabled or becomes afflicted with a serious illness, heaven forbid, when one of them dies... But there are many ways in which our faith is tested. It can be financially. It can be in health problems. It can be in emotional states like anxiety or depression or guilt. Like Abraham, your faith is going to be tested. Now, you know that there's a difference between temptation and testing. In fact, there are many differences. Temptation comes from the devil... Testing comes from God. Temptation is meant to cause evil. Testing is meant to bring about good. Temptation seeks to destroy you. Testing seeks to build you. So like Abraham, you and I will many times have our faith tested. Application number two, when your faith is tested, God is still Jehovah Jireh. God still provides your needs. Now, sometimes God steps in and provides your needs miraculously. Sometimes God does it naturally. 
But there's a miracle in that, even in when it comes and how it comes. Notice that God provided Abraham's need of a sacrifice naturally. God didn't cause a flash of thunder and lightning and a lamb appeared. Abraham saw a lamb, a ram, caught by its thicket in the horns, just naturally. God doesn't always deliver you from your tests in advance. It was at the point when Abraham was about ready to take Isaac's life that God intervened. God practices brinkmanship. He comes and intervenes just in the nick of time. And that's part of the test, is the endurance and the patience it involves. So here you have Abraham. His faith is tested. Our faith is tested. Here you have Abraham. He calls the place Jehovah-Jireh, the Lord will provide. And God is still Jehovah-Jireh. Jireh. Whatever your need is, God is going to provide. The Bible says in Philippians 4.19, But my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Application number three, you claim the provision of God through faith. Abraham didn't know how God was going to deliver, but he knew that God was going to deliver. And he said to Isaac, God will provide. Now the writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11, is lifting up the heroes of faith one of whom is Abraham. And the writer of Hebrews says that Abraham accounted that God was able to raise Isaac from the dead. Abraham believed that. He believed that even if he killed Isaac, in order to keep his word, God would Bring Isaac back to life. Do you know what faith is? Faith is leaning on the character of God. God knows everything. That means he knows about your test. God is everywhere. That means he is with you wherever you go. God has all power. He's big enough to handle it. God is perfect love. He loves you infinitely regardless of what you've done. And listen, God has integrity. Human beings sometimes break their word. Sometimes they try to keep their word, but they don't have the power to do it. But God always keeps his promises. And faith is resting on the character of of God. Faith is the way that a human being becomes a Christian and receives forgiveness of sins, receives salvation. The Bible says you are saved by grace through faith. You rest in what Jesus did on Mount Calvary. 
and trust him as the sacrifice for your sins. That's how you're saved. But faith is also the secret of the Christian life. And like Moses, one day you'll stand at the Red Sea and God will say, Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. You obey God and you trust God to do what you cannot do for yourself. You lean on his character and that's faith. We used to have in our local mall a store called J.C. Penney. There are still J.C. Penney stores, we just don't have one here. When I moved to Fort Walton Beach in 1987, the store manager of J.C. Penney and his wife were members of First Baptist Church. They lived in Shalimar, and they were two of our finest, most faithful members. Since then, he's retired. They're both in heaven. But he was a wonderful man. Do you know what the JC stands for, by the way? John Cash. Long before there was a singer named Johnny Cash, there was John Cash Penny. He was a retailer. He was also the son of a Baptist pastor and uh, a person of faith. And when J.C. Penny was a young man in his 20s, he contracted tuberculosis. Now, tuberculosis is still a big deal. But if you'd lived in the 1890s and there were no antibiotics whatever, tuberculosis was a really big and often fatal deal. Fact is, I don't think I've ever told you this. I have an uncle who went to enlist in the army in World War II and was declined on the basis of his physical exam because he had had, he had had tuberculosis. Even as recently as World War II, do you know what the treatment was? You peep. You put people in a dry climate, New Mexico, West Texas, or someplace. You put them in a sanitarium where they would be kept isolated with other TB patients. You gave them plenty of rest and fresh air, and you just waited to see if time would heal them. Well, that's what happened to J.C. Penney. And he was convinced in that sanitarium that he was going to die. But one night he was walking down a hallway and he passed the little room and he heard singing coming from inside that room. He looked in the door. There was a group of patients in there. They were praying, but they were also singing. And at this time, they were singing that old hymn, Be not dismayed whate'er betide, God will take care of you. And standing there, J.C. Penney bowed his head and he prayed, God, I can do nothing. Will you take care of me? Years later, he wrote his autobiography called 50 Years with the Golden Rule. And he said it was that moment that turned his life around. And he said the next day, 
I felt health. I felt strength. I later walked out of that sanitarium as a healed man. And that's when I launched my business career and began establishing my stores. When he said, God, I can do nothing. Will you take care of me? Whatever your test today, would you pray that? God, I'm in over my head. God, I'm overwhelmed. God, I can't handle it. Would you take over? I'll do what you've told me to do, but I'm just trusting you for all the rest. And believe that God will provide. If you've never given your heart to Christ, then ask him to be your Savior. Would you do that? God, I can't save myself. I'm not good enough. You know, even if I were perfect from here on out, I can't undo the imperfections of the past. I need someone who has the authority to pronounce me forgiven through the blood of Christ. I can't do it, God. I'm in your hands. I trust you to save me. Would you do that today? Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's word. May the Lord richly bless you.